So here, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. And this is the written and inspired word of God. Let us pray. O Lord, bless your word that will go forth in our hearts, that we would trust in you as our Savior and know you as both Jesus, the Creator and the Redeemer. In your name we pray. Amen. Today we're going to be talking about diversity from the Bible's point of view, picking up on that theme there. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And we hear a lot about diversity today in our society, uh, and a lot of it is something we need to evaluate according to the Word of God. I, I have uh, no problem with diversity, and I am glad to announce that this Bible that we preach here at this church has diversity from first to last. At the beginning, we see this phrase, God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. And then we see also at the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 9, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before the throne. You hear all that diversity, all the nations, all the tribes, peoples, and languages before the Lamb, before the throne, clothed with white robes. They all had that righteousness of Christ upon them with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. I warmly embrace diversity and differences without coercion. It's a diversity I experienced with my wife as we attended an African-American church in Patterson, when we were first married, it's a diversity that we experienced serving 14 years at Hope Reformed Church in Clifton with Dutch Americans, African Americans, Hispanic, Latino Americans, Indian Americans, and Albanian Americans. And it's a diversity I experience here with you. We have all different kinds of backgrounds, all different kinds of experiences feeding into this little congregation here on Luzerne Road. But in the current parlance, there are forms of diversity which focus on sinful corruptions of the created order. A good word, diversity, has been hijacked. Uh, we saw in verses 26 and 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And in today's culture, sadly, you are called diverse if you rebel against the binary human sexuality which God made us, in which God made us, male and female. And you're called diverse if you rebel through embracing homosexuality. We rebel against God's plan for union between male and female so that we can be fruitful 
and multiply. In the Bible, that's called idolatry. It's not called diversity. In Romans 1, we read, professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts. In verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for that which is against nature. When we idolize God, when we make images of him to look like human beings, like corruptible man or like birds, that eventually leads to an idolatry of self. If our idol of God is a human figure, well, then we idolize self. A woman looks at herself and desires more of herself and wants to be intimate with other women. Men look at themselves. They want more maleness, and they go with men. And somehow that makes us diverse? No. That's an utter and boring sameness. The boring me is the focus of my sexual desire. I want more of me. It's a form of philosophical monism or oneness. Now, we believe there is one true God, but that is not to be confused with monism or pantheism, which is uh, very uh, prevalent in many religious cultures, some of them in the Far East, some of them in modern New Age uh, thinking here in America, where everything is one, God, creation, man, it's, it's all little chips of this one God, which is everything. But the Bible has a beautiful picture of diversity. We have a creator and we have created things. We've got males and we've got females. And we're going to be taking a look today at this diversity and the beauty of how God finished creation. And then when he's finished, how God gives us rest from our labors. First, verse 31 of chapter 1, everything is fine. Verse 1 of chapter 2, everything is finished. Creation is finished. And then verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2, followed by rest on the seventh day. So first, chapter 131, then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed it was very good. Indeed, you can just make me say, wow, that's fine what I just did. Look at it. Behold it. Behold it with me. On the first, third, fourth, and fifth days of creation, God saw that what he had made was there, and it was good. And then on the sixth day, he said it was very good. Now, I have to admit to you, as a Christian, I've, I've always, often racked that up to the fact that man was created on the sixth day, and that's why he said it was very good. Now, I believe man is the apex of God's creation. Just like last week, I said that it's in chapter 127 that three times over, the word create is used in association with man, male and female. And I also pointed out that it's at the end of creation. It's the final act. It's the apex. And I also shared that there was the counsel of God thinking about this. This is in verse 26, where he says, let us make man in our image. Nowhere else do you see in all the created order 
There you have fiat. Here we have counsel and thinking in wisdom about this most important creation of an image bearer. But having said that, I want to just say that having researched on this sermon, read some things, I really think it's more along the line that God saw everything that he made in its totality, including human beings, including the apex of his creation. And it's that which he says is very good. Uh, outstanding Jewish commentator, Umberto Casuto, who my father always pointed me to, and I picked up recently through another book by Douglas Kelly, has argued persuasively the fact that the first five books of the Bible were written by Moses. And he writes here about the creation account, and he says, I quote, Instead of the usual simple formula, it was good, we have here at the conclusion of the story of creation a more elaborate and imposing statement that points to the general harmony prevailing in the world of the Almighty. On the previous days, the words that it was good were applied to a specific detail, just like God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then at the end, he says, it was very good. But now, God saw everything that he had made, the creation in its totality, and he perceived that not only were the details taken separately good, but that each one harmonized with the rest. Hence, the whole was not just good, but very good, unquote. Casuto calls the details of our existence the very diversity with which God made us, that this is placed into order and the whole is good. Diversity is not meant to divide us. But rather, under God's sovereignty, it's meant to unite us as we, with different voices coming from different places, praise the living God along with the whole creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. We are meant to harmonize. Our diversity is not a rallying cry for being at one another's throats. Submitting to the written word of God is our way of teasing out the difference between diversity and idolatry. The diversity that appreciates the other that is beautiful and different than me. For example, in sexuality, the diversity that appreciates the other as lovely and different than me. Our appreciation for not only European foods, but Far Eastern foods are for me. I just love the Middle Eastern foods. And the beauty of how we see art and there are different expressions of creativity that some of it is bold and uh, daring and other of it is pastel and receding and understated in its elegance. We have great diversity and we bring it all to God and glorify him for it. We cry out, salvation belongs to our God who sits upon the throne. You see, the wonder of the fact is that the same Christ who made everything is the Savior who redeems us. 
God didn't leave us in our sin. When we broke our lives, when we messed up, when we rebelled because we disobeyed the Ten Commandments and we went against the order of creation, God came into our lives and he redeems us of our sins as we repent of that sin and turn to him and want to have our life ordered according to his written word. As we recognize this, we see that the same one who created everything is the one who came, as we saw last week, the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, shines in our hearts like that light shined forth on the first day of creation. Instead of reveling in the discord that can come with diversity, we get saved. And when we're saved... We recognize that God has made us different, that he is reconciling us. As it says in Colossians 1.16, for by him all things, you got that all things, the everything again shows up. All things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible or invisible. And then three verses later, he died. He went to the cross to make peace for us with God. Now I want to ask you today, are you ready to come to Christ to believe upon him? Will you trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins today? And will you recognize that the problem of sin isn't something that just doesn't go out to those poster child sins that we see mentioned in the New Testament, the tax collectors or, or, or the public uh, sinners, the, the women who, who do wrong things in their profession? Is it, is it just the bad guys that, that, that are the obvious poster children on Broadway who are, who are raising a ruckus? Are we going to recognize the sin problem comes home to me? That I have rebelled in my own ways from the living God. Will I be the one who recognizes that I need Jesus just as much as anybody? It was the Pharisees who pointed at certain groups. It was the Pharisees who said, I don't need salvation. But Jesus said, if you don't think you need salvation, I didn't come for you. It's, it's, the, it's the sick who I came for. It's the ones who know they need a doctor. If you think you're so good, if you're going to wag the finger at the world, I don't have anything to do with you. So I ask you today to trust in Jesus, to come to him and believe that he is uh, a savior for your life. And as you do that, then you will be sanctified along with all of us. We will be in this community of faith called the church. And we will recognize there is a way to fit in. St. Thomas Aquinas describes the very good of creation in this way. The highest degree of perfection should not be lacking in a work made by the supremely good workman. But the good order good of order among diverse things is better than any of the members of an order taken by itself. It was not fitting that God's work would lack the good of order. And yet without the diversity and inequality of created things, this good could not exist." Unquote.
Yes, we are all different, but we have a common need for the Savior. And then he brings us in an order into his creation and into his church. He gives each of us a calling to do in the work world. And he gives us a place in his church governed by the Bible. And as we believe, the Bible teaches governed by elders in this place. We are here to serve you. We are to help you. And we are not here to say that we are better than anybody in the world. We are inviting all people, no matter what their struggle is, to enter into a path of getting holy because they have been set free from sin at the cross. And I want to encourage you to come to this Savior and come to know this Lord in the fellowship of the order of this church as you go out and do your calling as mothers, as fathers, as children, as sisters and brothers, as workmen and workwomen in the world. And seek your place of harmony that you might be part of a restored very good, even though the world has great problems. God said through Moses, verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. Yes, there was a time of finishing. Creation in other ways went on. As it says in Psalm 139 and verse 15, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. And then in the previous verse, it says, I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. There is a personal connection that God continues to have with his creation. There is, in a sense, an ongoing making and creating. But in another sense, it was finished. The the, the pattern had been set down. All the genetic diversity that was needed was provided at the beginning. And God then rested. It says in our confession of faith, what is the, in the catechism, what is the work of creation? The work of creation is God's making all things of nothing by the word of his power in the space of six days and all very good. And then it goes on to say, how did God create man? God created man, male and female, after his own image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness, with dominion over the creatures. And that's all it says about creation. It was finished, just like it says here. But then it goes on to this 11th question. What are God's works of providence? God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful, preserving, and governing all his creatures and all their actions. God's providence sustains and holds together, as it says in Colossians 1 in the NIV version, all things, but the foundational creative work was done. It did not evolve over millions of years. As I said a few weeks ago, one of the key arguments against Evolution is Gordon Van Wyland's statement that there had to be a creator. He's the physicist who wrote the textbook on 
thermodynamics, and he said that the increasing disorder or entropy of physical reactions involving energy, it's always increasing. So there must have been a high order at the beginning. And he says that is one of his confidences that there is a creator in addition to how he learns it in the Bible. And then I talked last week about Michael Behe, who said there's this irreducible complexity that minor changes to parts of a complex system could have no evolutionary selective advantage because there's a whole system there and changing one little bit of one part of it couldn't have an advantage when the whole is not even in place. And now I'd like to bring to you the work of John C. Sanford through uh, Douglas Kelly's book. And I've read this with great interest as he was a tenured full professor at Cornell University until he retired in 1998. And he is a person who did detailed works in genetics and wrote a book which basically declared his skepticism of the idea that the variation that happens in the genetic material in human beings or any living being could be the source of the variation that selective uh, that that natural selection acts upon. He uh, interacts with uh, a very famous Christian man, Dr. Collins, who wrote a book which had a lot of influence. This was a book that dealt with the genetic material, which is that DNA, which I talked about a few week, uh, weeks ago, which has a four-letter code, adenine, guanine, cytosine, and thymine. And these bases all connect, connected to a double helix protein, our DNA, and they provide the code for making proteins for all of life. And Dr. Collins was involved in establishing what the human genome is. What is all the genetic information put together that makes up and directs the production of our humanity? And in 1997, this was published. Now, Collins suggests that the variation that uh, Darwin talked about, and I think I uh, led you wrong uh, uh, at a previous sermon talking about the black box. What the black box actually is, is it's a way of summarizing how Darwin expected there to be a variation in species, variation in the progeny that come out of uh, living things. And he didn't know how that variation happened, but he knew it happened. And so he, uh, in effect, he just thought there was a black box there and there was a, a knowledge of where that variation came from. Well, uh, this random mutation, naturally occurring mutations in DNA, this is the source of that variation, according to Collins, which then produces life. Collins states that naturally occurring mutations in DNA, the new DNA spellings will have a slightly higher likelihood of being passed on to future offspring. Over the course of a very long period of time, such favorable rare events can become widespread in all members of the species, ultimately resulting in major changes in biological function. That's from his book, The Language of God. However, a great biologist, Sanford, and other researchers 
have sought to demonstrate empirically from the laboratory that the genome is not increasing in information. Sanford's research, pre, uh, published in his book, Genetic Entropy, states that so far from random mutation increasing information in a genome so that you can develop new species and new biological functions, actually, over time, there is a degradation of information in genomes due to random mutations in genetic material Net information is declining. I quote, if mutation selection cannot preserve the information already within the genome, it is difficult to imagine how it could have created all that information in the first place. We cannot rationally speak of genome building when there is a net loss of information every generation, unquote. And I go on quoting, mutation selection cannot even create a single gene. It cannot because of the enormous preponderance of deleterious mutations even within the context of a single gene, unquote. Yes, in terms of our text today, thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished we learn that the work of creation in a foundational level was finished and all the complexity we needed was given at the very beginning. Evolution does not create information needed for new species, new body parts, new capabilities. And selective advantage is limited to the minor things in microevolution like the changing colors on a moth's wing which is a staple of biology textbooks through the past decades. We glorify God that he creates, that the unique creation at the beginning is finished, in which God laid down the planks and the biological structures and the physical constants in order that life would occur. And so, in chapter 2 and verses 2 and 3, we see that this creation is followed by the rest on the seventh day. We're thankful that God gave himself a rest because he knew we needed rest. He didn't need a rest, but he established it in the order of creation so that he would be able to sanctify the day. Verse 3, then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, meaning it wasn't a one-off. It wasn't just something for that first seventh day. It was for us, his people, going on through history. That is God's blessed handoff to us. And we, as Christians living after Jesus came to earth, we observe that through what I call, and many have called, the Christian Sabbath. The Sabbath on the first day of the week. We know that Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week, John 20, 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. And so we also see that this first day of the week is the day that's noted by believers through the Bible. In Revelation 1.10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. 
And I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet, because he refers to the Lord's Day without explanation. It was something that he knew his readers knew all about. And there in 1 Corinthians 16, 2, it says, On the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when we come. And so we take an offering on the first day of the week. And then Acts 27, on the first day of the week, when we were gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them intending to depart on the next day. They gathered for worship and even through the celebration of the Lord's Supper. And so we learn that the Sabbath means for us a day of rest on the first day of the week. Coming out of the first creation, God rested on the seventh day. But in Jesus' case, he was working on the sixth day. And the seventh day, he was working at the cross, and he laid down his labors, asleep in the tomb, and on the seventh, on the first day of the week, he arose out of the grave and then celebrated his rest in the new creation. So at the outset of the old, original creation, we had a day of rest, and now at the beginning of the new creation, we have a different day of rest of rest. I want to encourage you today to take that rest and take it seriously. Set this day apart and make it different. Don't do your routine shopping. Oh yeah, I'm just going to be shopping today just like I always do. No, you need something at the supermarket, go get it. But I'm not, I'm just saying basically you're not planning on doing your big shopping trip to Macy's on Sunday. You are setting it apart. You're looking at it differently. And one of the beautiful ways you can do that is by worshiping, by worshiping with God's people and worshiping even in the evening to set apart the whole day for himself. In conclusion, I want to quote a brother pastor from Boston Center Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church, Jason Crenshaw. And I just want to, in the area of diversity, just want to quote something I saw on his Facebook page, a beautiful statement. One day, our uniqueness and cultural expressions will be cleansed of our sinful pride and celebrated without divisions, insecurities, or threats to one another because they will be presented as renewed offerings that center around our one creator and redeemer. And he quotes Revelation 21, 24 to 26, in this city of God, the nations walk and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it and its gates will never be shut by day and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Yes, the nations in all their diversity, with all those languages, yes, they will bring glory to God. And I just want to encourage us now to embrace that uh, cleansing of our sinful pride, but that we would rejoice in the differences among us and bring them all together without any insecurity to God. And I also want to encourage you to remember that Jesus, Jesus who created us, the eternal Son of God who created us, is the same one who, when he came to earth, affirmed these truths about how he made man. Matthew 19, 4 to 6. And he answered them and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning 
made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. God has embraced his creation by sending his son, Jesus Christ, among us. He sent him to earth to die for us. He sent him to earth to reinforce this teaching about how he wants things to be in the family. And if there are people here who struggle with any of these matters, in terms of transgender feelings, in terms of same-sex attraction, I want you to know there are many people who are Christians who have felt this. It is not something to hide from. It is something to share and to maybe get counsel from one of the elders, one of the elders' wives. We are here for you. And it's not just that. We are all struggling in sanctification. We all have a journey. We all are all seeking to be more conformed to Christ. It isn't just these issues. We all need one another in this community of faith so that we may be holy before the Lord, even as we rest in the once and for all justification which Christ won for us at the cross of Calvary. Don't go on in silence. There are people who can help you, and we want to grow holy together as a church family. Let us pray. Lord God, bless my